All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Why are the playoffs better at Boston Pizza? Because we've optimized our sports bar experience by studying in-depth analytics. Starting with our new BP Winged Ribs, currently leading all apps in wings above replacement, and deep-fried pickle wedges, an early favorite for the unanimous number one overall pickle. And, of course, the advanced stats darling and leader in pints per game, the new Beer Mosa. Catch the playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern. No Canada. The Stanley Cup drought in Canada will stretch into 31 years with the Edmonton Oilers eliminated from contention by the Vegas Golden Knights on Sunday evening. Welcome into Daily Faceoff Live presented by Botano. The game starts now at botano.ca. 19 plus, please play responsibly. He's former NHL netminder, current Daily Faceoff analyst, Mike McKenna. Mike, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great today, Frank. Loving we got some rain in St. Louis finally, drought ends, and plenty of great hockey. So all good here. How about yourself? Yeah, uh, late Sunday night uh, as a result of that 10 p.m. Eastern start, mm-hmm. but plenty to sink our teeth into. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock. And let's start with the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights are advancing to their fourth Western Conference Final in their six seasons as an NHL franchise by virtue of their 5-2 win over the Oilers on Sunday evening. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl go out like a lamb instead of a lion. And Mike, when you take a look at this series, I think what stands out to me is 
the Golden Knights were clearly the better team as it went on. They were better for me pretty much the whole series, and so much of it just relied on five-on-five hockey. Uh, And look at how Vegas played. Four lines, 60. They had to draw in Ben Hutton when Alex Petrangelo got suspended. I think it honestly pissed them off when Petrus Petrangelo got suspended, and they played even better in game six because of it. And they got better goaltending. So, you know, did Edmonton do some things well? Yeah, yeah, on the power play. And about one and a half lines were pretty serviceable. But Vegas just kept coming. They stayed to their game plan. I thought Bruce Cassidy did a great job in the series, especially um, for game five. He took uh, Nick Waugh to the third line, brought in Teddy Bluger, sat down Michael Amadio. That move really paid off. It solidified their fourth line. And, and their system was just so tight in Vegas. 11 games in the playoffs so far. They've only twice allowed 10 or more high danger chances five on five, Frank. That's why they're winning. Five on five, Vegas is an absolute wheel, and they showed it against the Oilers. Yeah, and they're also winning with their third goalie in net in Aiden Hill. I don't know if that's fair or unfair to say, but if you look at sort of the balance of the season, I would think that Logan Thompson, if healthy, would be the top guy, and then Lauren Brassois was the guy who started the playoffs. He's out. Hill comes in, and after letting up two goals on the first two shots that he faced in Game 6, he was absolutely unflappable down the stretch for the Golden Knights, who, Mike, I have to ask the question. There's five teams still in the chase for Lord Stanley's prize. Are they the best team still standing? Uh, I think it's going to be tough to take that title away from Carolina. Um, and we still have to see what's going to happen, of course, between Dallas and the Kraken. But they're getting contributions from everybody in Vegas. I mean, their power play's okay. The penalty kill's very good. But again, five on five real well. And I've loved Aiden Hill's game. Like, he was good down the stretch. He got hurt. Uh, but he's playing the most patient I've seen. I think a lot of what Vegas may boil down to, Frank, is if Hill can keep up that level of play if he stays healthy and if these lines can keep going. Jack Eichel, he's been even better in the postseason than the regular season. He's been phenomenal for Vegas. That line with Marcia So and Barbashev, they had their fingerprints all over it last night in Game 6 with Marcia So having a hat trick. And we'll see if the Golden Knights are the best team still standing. You could make the case that Jack Eichel is the best player still standing. He's been that good for the Vegas Golden Knights. So let's talk about the fallout, the oil spill, so to speak, of the Edmonton Oilers going backwards after last year's trip to the Western Final where they were swept by the Colorado Avalanche. This Oilers team, so much in way of expectations, so much in way of firepower that you mentioned even strength. The Golden Knights were clearly the better team. You know. Connor McDavid sort of snapped back at John Butchergross on the ESPN broadcast on Sunday night saying, don't know why you talk about even strength because the power play goals still count the same. And that's a fair point. But for this Oilers team that really went into the playoffs with so much depth scoring, and I'm not talking about their bottom six. I'm talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 100-point season, and Zach Hyman and his 90-plus points that he had, and Evander Kane being the playoff performer that he was last year. I recognize that there's some injury involved there. It seems like Zach Hyman was only playing on one leg, for instance. But where did all of that go, and where do the Oilers go from here? You know, it's not even just the scoring. You outlined it very well, Frank. I mean, also, Evander Kane was just invisible in the series with one assist. So, I mean, he doesn't have a contract to play for this year. Maybe that has something to do with it. But Edmonton can't play defense, man. It's it's as simple as that. Like, if you're trotting out 11 forwards and 7D, doesn't that wave the white flag at what you have for offensive depth in the first place? And then on top of that, to watch Edmonton run around their defensive zone, 
to see three guys go after one player. Like I think Jay Woodcroft has to take a look in the mirror this offseason and look at his personnel, especially that blue line, and say, is my team capable of playing man-on-man defense in our own zone? Because they did not show that against the Vegas Golden Knights. They didn't show it really all season long. And look across the way at Vegas, how well they play in their own zone. That's what Edmonton needs to do. So that might be a coaching tweak as well as a personnel tweak. And Edmonton, flat out, man, they just didn't get enough saves. Skinner got pulled three of the last four games they started. And I tell you what, man, there's I know Campbell had an incredibly erratic season, but there's no way around it. By him not starting game six, it showed that the Oilers have absolutely zero confidence in Jack Campbell. And he's got four more years left on his deal at five mil, Frank. So uh, there's a lot going on here in Edmonton. And to me, it's just defense and figuring out if Skinner's going to be able to continue to take strides because he did have a good regular season. He's got to continue to improve. Yeah, I'm not expecting seismic changes for the Oilers this summer. I think that's a good team that was simply outplayed in in round two, and I think that there's moves that are still going to be significant, uh, including you know what happens with the next contract for Evan Bouchard, even though he doesn't have much leverage without arbitration. That's going to be a big sticking point. You mentioned the goaltending. I doubt the two pieces that are involved in Skinner and Campbell change just based on contract scenario alone. And it's not backbreaking at the, the pay scale that they're at, but still the fact that Campbell didn't start a single playoff game and is in the first year of a five-year deal is troubling nonetheless. I also expect that there could be some change on the horizon in Edmonton. Talked about it on the DFO Rundown podcast with my co-host Jason Greger this morning. I expect the Oilers to be both very, very proactive and protective of Steve Steos, who is in their organization as a potential GM. I certainly envision a world in which they are promoting Steve Steos to GM and bumping up Ken Holland to president of hockey operations or something along those lines. So uh, certainly uh, a lot could happen here in Edmonton in the near term. And a lot is probably already in the mix in Toronto. Uh, Mike, when you consider the Leafs falling in game five against the Florida Panthers, who advanced to their Eastern Conference final for the first time since 1996, and Mike, you know, when you take a look at all of the fallout that comes from the Leafs falling out of the playoffs, the biggest thing, of course, is what is next for Kyle Dubas in terms of his future as uh, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's expected to address the media. They've already begun their exit interview and media day locker cleanout day in Toronto. Just some quick snippets to pass along. Uh, Austin Matthews says it is his intention to re-sign with the Leafs. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly spoke to the media and said that uh, while he was is open to the idea, it certainly seemed like the way he answered the questions that he might be leaning towards testing unrestricted free agency, which is no surprise. But Mike, all of that is all kind of window dressing until we figure out what's going on and who's going to be leading this franchise from a managerial perspective. I found it very interesting that Brendan Shanahan is choosing to not address the media on Monday, instead leaving that for later in the week, which would seem to suggest that some decision one way or the other is coming in terms of Dubas and his future. For someone that asked for and could not receive an extension for Dubas from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment last summer, how does this team, where everything is supposed to be on the table, how does he then get an extension for Kyle Dubas now? I think that's the big question. While even though universally everyone looks at this this management team and says Kyle Dubas is is one to lead them moving forward, 
I think there's still a lot left to be desired in terms of roster construction, the way this team was built, and some of the issues that have popped up over his five-year tenure. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I think that that really is the key. I mean, if Dubas comes back, you know Sheldon Keefe's going to come back. Is I mean, does Shanahan and Keefe or Shanahan and Dubas both come back together? Is there any friction there? These are things that we can't really tell uh, below the surface, and it is a little bit odd that Shanahan was going to let it go over time. But, you know, for O'Reilly's words, whenever somebody says, I've got decisions to make, yeah, he's pretty much gone. The hard part for me is, do the Maple Leafs think they can really continue to win with the core four players? You know, there's contracts that are going to be due for all of them in a year or two. Is Matthews your guy? Like, is he hard enough in playoffs to win? Is Marner your guy? You know, I don't think Tavares goes anywhere. So is it Nylander, Matthews, Marner? Do you keep all three of them and keep trying to fill in gaps below them? Because if that's the hardest part for any GM that comes in, is you got these big contracts up top. How do you develop depth? There's not a whole lot coming through right now. So it's either going to be in-house or you got to find value signings to make that work. I, I'm, I'm curious to see. I think Dubas obviously holds all the cards, but if he's going to be a free agent, kind of they've kind of made a mess out of this in some ways, but I can understand why. It's Toronto. It's high pressure. Um, but I'm curious to see how this plays out, Frank. I'd like to see Dubas have another crack myself because I think he did he did everything he could at the trade deadline, man. He threw the kitchen sink at it, I thought, and it just didn't come out because his top players, they just didn't seem to care in the final game. Yeah, I also thought it was a an interesting point made by Kevin BX on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, essentially saying this team that's built on high-end skill and speed all of a sudden took a hard right turn uh, at the trade deadline and tried to add physicality and, and grit yeah. when – was that should that have been part of the calculation earlier? Did they go too overboard trying to just get by the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one? It, fair question to ask, and wanted to add one thing as well. You know, it's not just will Kyle Dubas return as general manager. I think the other part of it is what happens if he doesn't from a pure personnel perspective. Austin Matthews throwing out a hint uh, this morning at his media availability, uh, speaking to the strong relationship that he has, saying he would like an extension in place prior to next season. I kind of view those, you know, two pieces, Kyle Dubas and and Austin Matthews, as a little bit tied together at the hip. If Kyle Dubas isn't back, I think there's a pretty strong or certainly a lot stronger likelihood that Austin Matthews maybe turns around and says, you know what, maybe I'll play out the final year of my deal, but I'm not sure that I want to re-sign in Toronto. I think that's how uh, significant their relationship is as well. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, moving forward as this week rolls on. Speaking of rolling on, the Florida Panthers, as mentioned, into round three. They will square off against the Carolina Hurricanes. And Mike, we'll have plenty of time to preview this series as I'm told that the conference final schedule might actually not start until Thursday and Friday, which would be uh, a lot of rest and time off for both the Panthers and the Canes, who, by the way, got Tavo Teravainen back on the ice as a full participant in Monday's practice, which is huge news for them. But Mike, when you look at the job that the Florida Panthers have done in these playoffs, is this a case of one team just finding their stride at the right time? Or did we just underestimate the Panthers to this point as the eighth seed is advancing to the conference final? Well, anytime a team comes in and, and sweeps a couple, or not sweeps, but takes a couple series against teams that are as strong as Boston and even Toronto, you kind of have to look at the sum of the parts. And for me, Florida, from about January on, was really, really good. Now, they did have a lag 
um, towards the you know latter part of the season that Alex Lyon had to drag him into the playoffs before Sergei Bobrovsky took over. But I mean, it's not just that the team's winning games. Like there's a whole vibe to this Florida team. And yeah, Bobrovsky, he's been absolutely outstanding and he's gotten better. He had a 943 save percentage in the second round series against Toronto. That's undeniable. Um, but even with Kachuk not scoring in that series, they managed to find ways to win. And, and for me, like Frank, it, it really comes down to this. Rick, remember how basically miserable Paul Maurice seemed as a Winnipeg Jets head coach? Like, and how happy he seems right now as the Florida Panthers head coach? Now, it went through growing pains, right? He had to scream and yell at him. You had to have Keith Kachuk flip out and call the team soft and media, but they're not a soft team, man. Like, and the way that Florida's been forechecking, the way that was described by John Goyans when we had him on our show last week, I think Florida can give Carolina fits with their forecheck. It's just, can they sustain the relentless forecheck the other direction from the Hurricanes coming at them? That's going to be the real test because for me, it's still been the fact that Bob's been incredible for the Hurricanes. He has, or for the Panthers, he has masked some of their defenses lap, defensive lapses, and he's going to have to continue that against the Hurricanes. Yeah, I think the one sort of difference in the calculus now moving forward is the Florida Panthers, yeah, they've found a lot of success with their forecheck, but they've also never faced a decor that is as strong as the Carolina Hurricanes. And that's maybe one thing that I think we've overlooked in the entire playoffs in general is the importance of defense. No shock that it wins. I actually just talked to New Flyers president of hockey operations, Keith Jones, for a Frankly Speaking edition, which will drop later today. And he was saying the Flyers moving forward are going to be built through defense. I don't know. Watching Carolina and maybe even we're getting it wrong in terms of how we view the Florida Panthers. Gustav Forsling, better than a lot of people give him credit for. Yep. Radko Gudis has been a strong playoff performer. And then you have, of course, Ekblad and, and Montour having his monster playoffs. Maybe Florida's top four is, is certainly better than a lot of people recognize, maybe just because they play in Florida. Well, and nobody's going to forget this one moment. Radko Gudis in front of the net screaming in the face of Joseph Wall after he drove the net to cause the overtime goal by Nick Cousins. So he has been an absolute monster for them on defense. Huge fan of Gudis. I just think that overall as a team, Florida does allow a decent amount of opportunities. Look at, Gud look at Gudis drive the net here, Frank. Right in front, screen. <laughs> He's screaming at Wall. That's the vibe of this team, man. Like, it's undeniable, but they're going to run up against a brick wall in Carolina defensively, especially. And we'll see. They got to test those goaltenders. Anderson and Ranta uh, both been serviceable, but haven't been tested too much. That face that you see in the still shot of, of Gudis screaming in the face of wall, it's, I've seen that before. It's kind of like the one that I made when I caught my son writing on his wall in his bedroom. Uh, yeah, I remember those days. Uh, let's get yeah. to uh, talking about Game 7. A huge game tonight between the Seattle Kraken and the Dallas Stars with a spot in the NHL's Final Four on the line in this week's edition of the All-32. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. That's right. This is the All 32, and it's powered by the new Fanalytics menu at Boston Pizza. Deep fried pickle wedges, beer mosas, pizza flights. There's no better place on the planet than to watch all of the Stanley Cup playoff action than at your local Boston Pizza. We're pleased to be joined once again on Daily Faceoff Live by Ryan S. Clark, hockey writer at ESPN.com. Ryan, you've been uh, at all of the Seattle home games so far in the playoffs. You've watched this team up close and personal. You've seen them save their season yet again over the weekend as they forced a game seven against these Dallas Stars. Every time I turn around, I'm like, oh, yeah, Stars in a great spot to win a series. Or, hey, the Avs, this is when they're going to press the button and launch ahead of the Kraken. The Kraken are just there. They're in everyone's way. And now they've got another opportunity in game seven. What do you like about what you've seen from the Kraken, even just adjusting to the different pace that a team like the Dallas Stars have compared to Colorado? Sure. It's it's been just sort of how layered and multifunctional they are. I mean, we've talked so much this postseason about teams that not only have depth, but have depth that can adapt to different situations. And you think about what the Kraken did in game six, and it, that's a really strong example. Games four and five, that was a team that really struggled to get to that low slot, those high danger sort of areas. And the results were, hey, they were held below their, their averages per 60 and five on five play with shots, scoring chances, high danger scoring chances. Whereas if you look at game six from the, minute the game started they were aggressive in terms of getting to the net front low slot and what you saw is a lot of their goals came from close distance I believe around four of their goals if not all their goals came with an average of like let's say 15 and a half feet of course the the 31 foot wrister from ty cardia being the one that wasn't in that group which increases that number but the point is still they were able to get to that part of the ice which they'd been desperately not been able to get to in in, in games four and five and in terms of how they do it it's really sort of been the mantra and the narrative of this team this whole season which is it's not just one player or two or three. It's literally their whole lineup, whether it's the the, the top six, the bottom six, any one of the, the, the six defensemen. At this point, they're all capable of not only scoring, but they're all capable of creating the sort of plays that lead to scoring chances in the other direction. Ryan, you touched on Ty Cartier, and this guy's been awesome, man, since coming up from this uh... – from the American Hockey League, where he's the Rookie of the Year this year, he had 28 goals in the Iron League. That's no no joke for a 21 year old. So, kind of a two part question: Like, when did he really start to get some momentum within the organization? Because he made his debut in the playoffs, and then on top of that, do you see him staying on that top line? He's been playing with Beniers and, and Eberle. Do you think McCann may potentially slide back into that? What do you think is going to happen with Cartier? Sure, with Cartier, the thought had been maybe they felt they had something from the moment they signed him as an undrafted free agent. Now, yes, 
you always hear teams say, hey, we believe in a guy. You're never going to see a team sign someone and say, actually, we don't believe in him. We just have to fill a roster spot. But <laughs> in terms of how they d- develop and more importantly, how they scout in that organization, that was one of the strengths of bringing in Ron Francis is you look at his time in Carolina and the different players that were drafted and developed under Francis. There's quite a few of them that are either still in the Hurricanes organization or they're elsewhere, like a Warren Fogel being a, a good example or an Alex Nedeljkovic. But when you think about what Ty Cartier provides, they thought that they could get someone who could be a scorer who had a physical edge to his game. It was just a matter of seeing how it worked in the AHL. And so what you've seen with Cartier is someone who is not only filled into that role, but looks like could be an AHL, not AHL, excuse me, an NHL contributor. And he's not the only one. There's a guy, Riker Evans, a defenseman, who people thought a year ago he'd be in the NHL, but hey, they've let him sit in the AHL and Riker Evans is not having a terrible season. Now, as far as like what you do going forward, Cartier certainly made a case for why he should be in that top line spot. Again, you look at what he did in game six. Now, yes, the question is, you have a 40-goal score in Jared McCann. Is the fourth line the best place for Jared McCann? Yes, they've moved him around in terms of having him play on, on two different lines. Sometimes that first line, really a majority of that fourth line. But then again, at the same time, the fact they can play a 40-goal score on the fourth line really just speaks to just how interchangeable and how deep this team is. But as far as Cartier is concerned, if it's not the first line, he's definitely worked himself into the conversation of being an everyday selection for this team, which again, when you look at the strength of Seattle, it's the fact that they have players who can not only score, but they can score in bunches. They get those contributions from all parts of the lineup and they all provide a defensive element. And with Ty Cartier, he checks all those boxes. And besides, as we've seen with the Kraken, Rookies in their lineup typically tend to have good luck this season. Yeah, no kidding about that. Cartier has certainly been an eye-opener. Ryan, I have to ask you about the Stars' perspective. I think if you're looking for a a bounce-back player, the easy answer is Jake Ottinger, having been pulled in two of the six games so far in this series. And I don't really have any doubts based on his record, especially coming off of losses. But I have to ask you about Jason Robertson. Where's he been and what have the Kraken done to shut him down? Well, let, let's start there. With with Jason Robertson, the expectation is you're going to see this 100-point scorer who's going to be one of the more active players. And what you've seen so far is not been able to really get much in five-on-five play. Yes, he's had some assists, but in terms of the goals, it seems like they've been able to kind of either get in the way of those shots or really play sort of a close, tight style that's taken Robertson really out of some games. But it's not just Jason Robertson. Like, we think about all the different things the Kraken did in game six to win. And one of the points that wasn't really discussed was when it came to five on five play, Rope Hintz didn't record a single point. Rope Hintz came into the weekend tied for a second and playoff points. I mean, Rope Hintz, if the stars advance, is very much in the conversation for the con smite. Like that's how good he has been. And even with Hintz, he wasn't really able to do much. That whole line in five on five play wasn't on the power play. Absolutely. So it's not just Jason Robertson. It's Yes, we're asking this question about Rope Hintz. Now, granted, it is just one game. And as we've seen in this series, it seems like whoever can not only get the big period first, but who can ever sustain that over the length of three periods is going to win. But when you look at, like, okay, who has to have the big game for the Dallas Stars? Yes, you mentioned Jake Ottinger, but Robertson's another. Hintz is another. Heiskin is another, given that he's literally been playing half an hour a game, it feels, in, in, in the course of this series. So there's a lot of different answers that you could go for with the Dallas Stars in terms of who do they need. Game seven 
two of the best words together in the English language. You can watch it 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and read Ryan's work on ESPN.com. If you're not following him already, Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Thanks to those who are watching along on our YouTube stream. Tony Couture threw this into the chat, asked DFO, does Seattle Kraken's relatively egalitarian, big word there, Tony, salary structure, nice. all starting roster players with a $5.9 million or less uh, cap hit, prove that evenly paid teams win more than the Leafs or the Oilers? I think it's a fascinating question. I think there's a lot to be said uh, Mike, for balance in the mm. uh, Leafs cap structure, particularly with four players or well, three north of 10. And if you include Nylander, uh, certainly at his cap hit uh, in, in the upper echelon of the NHL as well, that maybe it's that Tavares deal that they really got themselves into trouble. No team has played or uh, no team has won the Stanley Cup, I should say, with a $10 million or more salary cap hit. Uh, Jack Eichel would be one of those players left in the running to this point uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. But, Mike, when you look at it, is Tony on to something? Uh, maybe. I mean, what it really says to me is that Seattle's an expansion team and they haven't gone big time shopping, which is very much Ron Francis's MO. But, you know, even Florida, hey, they got a $10 million goalie. So we could see it there in Sergei Bobrovsky as well. I do think, though, that balance is a key to this. There's not many teams that would be able to run two or three people that are up over the $9, $10 million range. There is kind of a sweet spot there, Frank. So if you got a generational talent, uh, if you got somebody like a McDavid or a McKinnon, you're going to have to pay them and you're going to want to pay them to retain them. But you got to be careful when you start loading up heavy. Sometimes it's better to disperse it. Yeah, I tend to agree. And you see Seattle and all the different contributions that they have. The depth has been a huge part of their run. You know, I think a lot of people have made the argument, though, in recent years with teams, whether it's the Islanders or the Canes, whoever it's been, that you can't win without a true superstar in those moments. And some of these uh, cap structures, Mike, by the way, are going to be put to the test. A team like Carolina, this is supposed to be their year to win. They're going to now need to pay Brett Pesci and, and Sebastian Ajo and some of these other guys as their contracts come up that are going to make uh, that a little bit more difficult to have a more egalitarian approach, as Tony pointed out. Thanks, Tony, for the question. Thanks to everyone uh, firing stuff into our chat on the YouTube stream. That brings us to Tyler Remchuk for our Daily Faceoff Batano Daily Bet segment. Tyler, how'd you do over the weekend? Not great over the weekend, Frank, because I was riding with the Edmonton Oilers, and they promptly shit the bed. So uh, I will just turn my focus to the lone Game 7 tonight on the slate. And listen, I think this game's getting priced wrong, so let's jump into it courtesy of our friends at Patano. The game starts now at Patano.ca. Game 7s are a coin flip. So you're telling me I can get plus 187 on the Seattle Kraken, almost a straight-up 2-1 to payout? I'm all over that thing. Listen, this series has been tight. It could very well come down to a bounce. Jake Ottinger's not playing his best hockey. Jason Robertson's not playing his best hockey. There's a lot of reasons why the Seattle Kraken can absolutely win this series. I view it as a coin flip, and you're giving me pretty darn good odds on what I view as a coin flip. Kraken money line plus 187. I am taking a Dallas Stars player prop, though. It's the Rupe Hints shot prop. Set at two and a half, paying minus 133. He's hit this in four of the six games so far, and what do we know about game sevens? 
the big guns got to play a lot. And I think uh, Pete DeBoer could be leaning pretty hard on that top line, which will mean a lot of chances for Rupe Hints to shoot the puck. So the Hints shot proc, but the Kraken on the money line, Frank. Yeah, I like that, Tyler. Uh, look, every fiber of my being says pick the Dallas Stars. I think they're a team built for playoff success and a deep run. I think they could very easily win the Stanley Cup with what's in front of them. Got to get past the Kraken. And so with that, I'm going to say I think I've been dis discounting the Kraken. I'm going to take the Kraken tonight. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I, I have Dallas, but I love any time Tyler rolls with an ace of spades bet. You just keep riding that rope I hit dream pony, man, because he'll provide for you. There you I go. Thanks to Tyler for our Botano Daily Bet segment. Mike, that brings us to garbage time. And look, a lot of people noticed the uh, very quick handshake uh, as Leon Dreisaitl made his way past uh, Vegas Golden Knights defenseman Alex Petrangelo. We all know the history with the slash. What do you think of the quick handshake, fair or foul? You know, I'm going to call it fair because he at least shook his hand. As quick as it was, as quickly as Dreisaitl pulled it away from Petrangelo, it's a whole lot better than when Martin Brodeur wouldn't shake Sean Avery's hand in 2008. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have shaken Avery's hand after all his antics back then either. But this is the essence of hockey. You're supposed to leave it on the ice, shake hands, be done with it. So you could tell that Dreisaitl was pretty disgruntled, and you saw it during the game too, Frank. I mean, a couple of fake slashes towards Petrangelo, not just from Dreisaitl. This was early in the game in the first period. Nick Bugstad also did as well. And then probably 30, 40 seconds left. Dreisaitl gave another fake to Petrangelo. I was kind of like at that point, well, why don't you just do it, man? You guys are already toast in this game. You, you didn't score in the last 57 minutes of an elimination game. Take out your frustrations. But I, I'm glad he didn't because then it could have turned into a complete fracas. And this is the end result, man. So I'm glad he shook his hand, but I still think it was right on the edge, man. Like you could tell it was kind of it's a little bit overboard there, I think. Yeah, and I get it. Emotions get the best of you. You know, you, yep. you were planning with your team to go on a deep run, and it falls so far short. Uh, really leaves you with a disgusting taste in your mouth, I'm sure, if you're uh, Leon Dreisaitl. The shame of it is Alex Petrangelo is such a class guy. Um, you know, obviously yeah. his emotions got the best Both of them, earlier you know? in, the, in the series as well. So, Mike, uh, that'll do it for the Edmonton Oilers and their season. That'll do it for today's edition of Daily Faceoff Live. We'll be back 12 noon Eastern to break down Game 7, preview Round 3, and all that's happening away from the rink as teams readjust and realign in the hopes of chasing Lord Stanley again. 12 noon Eastern on Tuesday. We'll talk to you then. Until then, have a great day and enjoy Game 7, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.